everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From the Aliyah to Kizar to the glory days at the stick. From who's got it better than us to brick by brick. It's always the 49ers way from off season to game day. Yeah, we talk back. It's the 49ers cut back. It's 49ers Cutback Podcast Time. Welcome to the show, everyone. Upon further review, one of my favorite episodes of the entire week because watch the All-22 film. I've gotten deep into it the way I used to when I coached, and I've broken down players and seen areas where the 49ers were highly successful that not just that you saw on film the day of the game, but that held water. Uh, so great play on one side, and then also some negative things, some things that the 49ers need to work on, some coaching points as it would be. This is exactly what you do when you examine the film as a coach. You go through and you find the positives, you find the negatives, and you go through and you watch film a lot. And a lot of people you know, will say, oh, yeah, I watched through the film. But if you're actually breaking down a play, you can break it down a lot. Uh, you can watch every single player. And, of course, when you have position coaches, they focus in on their positions, and that's how you get a more strategic breakdown. But a lot of times when you're a head coach, You've got to get a complete overview, and you've got to break down every single player. And I always wanted to know what to talk to my position coaches about when I was a head coach or an offensive coordinator. So I would look at each single player and watch them on every single play. That means I watched each play at least 11 times. A lot of times it was more than that. I'd find little intricacies, maybe technique flaws, uh, overall alignment issues. You could find a lot that you need to improve. Because the key to any football team is not just how you played, but getting better. Yeah, you want to recognize good play, but you also want to fix anything minor. And one of the things one of my coaches used to always say to me is we would have a big touchdown play. And I would walk by him and I'd be like, hey, we need to fix that backside block. We don't. It's going to end up catching us in the, in the long run. And he would always laugh because everyone else is cheering and excited and I'm focused in on something else. And that's exactly what you have to do when you focus in on the film. And let's just say, this 49ers film was pretty impressive. The plays that they executed very well, it was sheer domination. The plays that they didn't, well, you know, those things fall apart. You have to give credit to Seattle sometimes. Uh, they are NFL players too. And to be honest, Pete Carroll and Clint Hurt and that Seattle Seahawks defense came in with a good game plan to slow up the 49ers. Problem was, once Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan... And the rest of the team adjusted. Uh, then there were some plays to be made. And you saw vertical plays down the field. Taking advantage of what Seattle provided them. Because ultimately, that's the name of the game. What is the defense giving you? Go out and take it. And the 49ers have all the weapons, all the personnel, all the formations, shifts, motions. 
to take advantage of any defense in this league because they can find the matchups they like. Just like it's brought up to me all the time, Steve Wilkes always says, it's all about the matchups. And it is all about the matchups. So I'm looking forward to getting into this episode, going through, talking about the things that were really well, my observations from watching the All-22, but also some things the 49ers need to work on. And there are some key takeaways on offense and defense, just like there is every single week. So sit back, relax. Let's have a fun uh, you know, intake of 49ers content. I'm glad you guys are all here. Like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. I really appreciate it. On the push for 5K, if you're listening on audio platform, 49ers Cutback on Believe, it's been going up. Numbers are going up. I appreciate everyone that's listening and spreading the word. You guys are truly the best. I got to talk to you guys about Bet Online because Bet Online is here and all the major sports are in action this week with college football playoffs ready to kick off. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news on pro football, the NBA, upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get in on the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts. And I'm going to start on the offensive side of the field because you had a situation where the 49ers exploded on offense with Christian McCaffrey's 72-yard run. And I broke this play down over on Patreon and the patience that's involved from a, a few different areas. It's not just Christian McCaffrey, but also offensive linemen. So a lot of times when you get a play on the outside, a toss, a sweep, uh, whatever you want to call it, you have an opportunity to either get the edge with seal blocks, and then that's when you have the sideline to be able to run down. Or what happened in this case, Seattle Seahawks absolutely flew out there. Uh, because of their alignment and their shift as the 49ers went into motion, they put themselves in really prime situation to shut that play down. Pete Carroll talked about the fact that they had worked on slowing that play down, and it was evident on field. On film, they had enough guys out there. They had five guys out there to stop that play. Now, a couple of things happened that made this play go really good. Number one, the San Francisco 49ers offense of players that were out on the edge were playing really hard and competing right off the bat. But also, Seattle found themselves overrunning it. Because when you're playing defense, you have certain areas that you're supposed to stay in. You have guys that are supposed to engage and get in that ball carrier. And you have guys who are coming from the backside that need to be there for a cutback. Christian McCaffrey pressed this as far as he could, stuck his foot in the ground, and got upfield. Now, here's the part that is awesome. So that was the patience on his part. But the patience on the offensive linemen that were releasing to get to the second level, those are guys that are looking to chase linebackers, looking to chase you know, Jamal Adams, a safety that's been in the second level, was impressive. Most of the time, when you're running a toss play like that, you want to be able to cut those guys off, get your body between them and the outside, them in the hole, and be able to shield them so McCaffrey has an alley to run. But you're taught as an offensive lineman, if you're running there and those guys beat you to the spot, just continue to chase. A lot of times offensive linemen will give up on it, or offensive linemen will hit players in the back. That didn't happen here. John Feliciano, Aaron Banks, and others chased their guys down and kept running and kept running. And what you got was a cutback from Christian McCaffrey and then John Feliciano, who was right guard, all the way on the other side of the field, he cuts back against that block as well. And McCaffrey 
When he cut up, he cut back to the outside to set up the block for John Feliciano. Talk about a complete running back. The vision to not just see where he's supposed to go, but also help set other guys' blocks up as well. Just phenomenal. And Feliciano's in the right spot. McCaffrey cuts back. And then, of course, you get you know the great block down the field, 75 yards down the field. Brandon Ayuk working on Witherspoon. The only thing that's disappointing is that Christian McCaffrey doesn't get in the end zone for a touchdown. But overall, the execution, the patience of the 49ers offense and taking what's there. You know, Seattle had that one hemmed up, should have been able to take it away. Uh, so that was a huge takeaway right away was the patience and just the attention to detail from every member of the offense as they went ahead and dominated with a huge explosive play. And I will say this, it was clear to me watching this film the 49ers offense is getting better. And I know it wasn't a 42-point performance like it was against Philadelphia the week before, but the 49ers offense figured things out in this game. And a lot of times, that's what it's about. And I, like I said in the early mon monologue, the Seattle Seahawks, they came in with a really good plan. They had extra time. They had played on Thursday night football against the Cowboys, and they really had a good game plan. They were running a lot of uh, cover three zone but bringing in a defender into that middle area of the defense in a lurk position and allowing them to kind of free roll, read Brock Purdy's eyes. And as you've seen in the first parts of the game, there were big hits on George Kittle over the middle. They were stopping Debo Samuel from getting first downs. It was tough sledding for the 49ers offense through the air. They were also not going with all of Christian McCaffrey's motions, kind of ignoring Debo in some motions sometimes. They were very dedicated to what they wanted to do, and they stayed on point. So I had to tip my cap to what they were doing. But this is why I think the 49ers offense is getting better. Because when something is presented to you like that, you can either just try to muscle through it, find ways to still win in the same situation, or you can go to what you do best and just evolve. And that's what Kyle Shanahan does. He evolves. He figures things out. He started moving guys away finding things up the seam, taking advantage of that safety being in the middle of the field, and ultimately some shots deep down the field by Brock Purdy. Because all of a sudden, you're in a cover three, and you buzz up, and you are sitting on something, and Debo runs right by you. Boom, big touchdown. So I do believe the extra prep helped Seattle, not on the first drive, because Christian McCaffrey, he beat it, right? And the offense just executed at a high level. They got the touchdown, but the drives after that, the subsequent drives, you've seen it in action. Seattle was definitely prepared. And Brock Purdy has just busted this offense wide open because these were plays that just weren't available before. These are plays that I've watched on film for the last three years as I've done all 22 breakdowns and just got deeper into the 49ers film that Jimmy Garoppolo used to miss. And a lot of times you would see it, right? You'd see the guy wide open down the field and people would point out, and they're correct, those guys were on the backside of the progression. He would throw a three-yard slant, or he would throw a, a, a quick in-cut for five yards. Great, that's the first part of the progression. But Brock Purdy, Brock Purdy sees the big picture. He can see the whole thing. Yeah, he could have taken a short underneath throw, and it would have been you know close, it would have been tight, and probably got you know a first down, if that's what he's looking for. He had Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings was number one on the, the Debo Samuel touchdown, he had it. Jamal Adams was trying to play in the middle, but he had it. But he doesn't rip it. He sees Jamal Adams playing down. He sees him flat-footed, 
and he absolutely throws a smoke show over the top to Debo Samuel, and Debo walks in for a touchdown. Brock Purdy is opening this thing up. The explosive plays, the creativity, extending plays, throwing the ball over the top to Brandon Ayuk. This is because of Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, yes, he has playmakers, and the playmakers are special. He even talked about it. He said, hey, we got special playmakers. And he's not wrong. They do have special playmakers. But Brock Purdy is a part of that. He's special. And he's elevating the play of the players around him. Yes, they elevate him at times, and he elevates them at times. This is what great quarterbacks do. This is what great football teams do, right? There are moments you go back and you look at history and you see some of the great quarterbacks, and there are times that the quarterbacks absolutely elevate the players around them. And there's times that those players make great plays to elevate the play of the quarterback. Give and take. That's exactly what Brock is doing right now. But Brock can make every single throw they need him to make minus a 65 or 70-yard bomb uh, that travels 60 or 70 yards in the air. But you don't need that in this offense, an offense predicated on timing, an offense predicated on you know building openings and using and marrying the run game to play action and then those deep shots. So Brock Purdy is just helping this offense bust things open, and you can see it. They had two turnovers, which they've got to make sure they clean up. Brandon Ayuk, there's some sort of miscommunication there between Ayuk and Brock Purdy, and then it ends up being an interception off uh, Brandon Ayuk's hands. But you also have a situation where you had communication problem later with Debo Samuel. So I don't know if this is a Brock issue, if he was maybe seeing it a little bit different, or the wide receivers were running through their zone or not or sitting down where they weren't supposed to, those are things that they've got to work out for sure. But what we do know is Brock Purdy is executing at a high level. And Brock Purdy's wide receivers and skilled players, they count on him, and they know that he's going to get the ball to them every time. The fact that Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel have both said now that they have to be prepared for the football because Brock Purdy might get it to them even though they're at the end of the progression, that just shows the dynamic that he presents. Because now, even if you understand Kyle Shanahan's concepts as a defense, and you understand what his first couple of options are, and you're bringing a blitz, and you think, oh, they're, they're going to do this, and we're going to go to the hot. Maybe not. Maybe not now. Brock Purdy could find something down the field. So uh, areas where you thought you were safe, you're not safe anymore. Jamal Adams thought he was safe, that Debo Samuel wasn't going to come across the field and run that vertical past him for a touchdown. Guess what? He did. Brock Purdy's willing to take that big shot. Brock Purdy's willing to throw the ball deep down the field and take chances. It's great. So Brock Purdy's opening up this offense to a whole other level. That's crazy apparent on film. And I think the offense is actually getting better because of their adjustments, the way they were able to navigate the early uh, looks that Seattle was giving and then take advantage of it. And eventually Seattle, they just basically go back to their base cover three and it's like, hands up. Hopefully we can stop them. Okay, another thing that I noticed, Warriors O-line, they can't stop Leonard Williams. Leonard Williams is a problem. Problem for Aaron Banks, problem for Jake Brendel, uh, and it's it's been consistent. When he played for the New York Giants in week three, that was a problem. On Thanksgiving Day, that was a problem. This time, it was a problem. Uh, the good news is Leonard Williams doesn't play for any other teams because the 49ers struggle with Leonard Williams. He's a bad matchup. And the 49ers were able to maintain him most of the game, but he did have some real significant plays. 
And so you wonder if teams can study what Leonard Williams does against the 49ers and take advantage of it. We'll see. I don't know if that's the case. I think the 49ers offensive line did a pretty good job in this game. They were able to hold things down. They picked up blitzes. They picked up you know, all kinds of stunts. Uh, and they held up for the most part. The touchdown to Debo Samuel, the situation where he had time to step up in the pocket and absolutely rip that football down the field. So when the moments came, they held up. So that was really good news, and uh, it was good to see. But Leonard Williams, just a problem for the 49ers offensive line. Charlie Warner is an absolute beast. The dude is so good at blocking. Uh, the 49ers last year, it was interesting because Warner didn't look that good. And so... If you're not going to block really good and that's what you're here to be, you're here to be a blocking tight end. If you're not executing at a really high level as a blocking tight end, then that's when your possibility of being on the team starts to shake, right? That's why the 49ers drafted Braden Willis and Cameron Latu. So they thought, hey, we're going to have to replace these guys down the road because our depth hasn't been getting it done. Now, of course, Ross Dwelly's hurt. Braden Willis was active in this game and played in a little bit of the mop-up time. But Charlie Warner has been excellent. His blocking superb. He now has a catch in each of the last two games, right? It's shocking to see, but he is getting involved in that category. And he's catching the football. One of his problems before is he would get open, but he would drop it. So the fact he's had two catches, I know very short gains, but in the grand scheme of things, at least he's becoming a, a vital weapon that they could use. Like, oh, here we need a quick check down. There's Charlie Warner. Boom, get him the ball. At least it makes defenses have to account for him. That way, when he's on the field, they're not accounting for 10 guys. They're not accounting for four eligibles in the passing game because they don't worry about Charlie Warner. So it's a little subtle thing there for Warner. But his blocking, the things he's given to the 49ers on the edge, it's just brilliant. I mean, it really is. I mean, he's blocking really, really good on the edge. And when the 49ers go to their 12, which is one running back, two tight ends, or 22 personnel, two running backs, two tight ends, they just have an advantage. You bring in your base, you know, 4-3, base 3-4, and you try to line up against them, and they find an advantage, especially on the edge. His ability to, to block and trap a wham block on interior defensive linemen, there's not a lot of tight ends that block at his level. So it's good seeing Charlie Warner do that, and that was a big takeaway for me, was just his ability to be able to block at that level on offense. And that's exactly what you're looking for. Now, on defensive side of the ball, my first takeaway is the 49ers edge defenders, studs, making plays, right? And if you look at this, the box score, you see it somewhat, right? You see Nick Bosa had two sacks, depending on, you know, some had him at one and a half, some had him at two. Randy Gregory had a sack. Uh, then you look at Cleveland Farrell, he had, a, he had, you know, a couple big tackles. And then when you get to Chase Young, there's not a lot there. But if you watch the game, Chase Young had a sack that won't count because it was on a two-point conversion. But think about that, right? That could have made it a one-score game. He shuts it down. Uh, Chase Young also gets his hand on the football on the last interception by Fred Warner and basically ends the game. They don't show up. Not in the stat sheet, but they're big-time plays. And the 49ers defensive ends had to step up. You were without Eric Armstead, which meant when you got to third and long, the uh, the odds are we were going to go with extra edge defenders in the game in an Arden Key kind of role, and they did. It was Randy Gregory rushing from the inside or or Bosa rushing from over the center or occasionally Chase Young. So the 49ers needed to count on their defensive ends, and the defensive ends got it done in this football game, 
and help the 49ers win. So that was something that showed up on film for sure. Cleveland Farrell, by the way, he might not always put pressure on the quarterback, but he is fantastic against the run. Just fantastic. He always plays it tough. And Randy Gregory had some good plays, some flash plays in the run game as well. We know that sometimes he can struggle in that area, but he was playing tough. 49ers edge defenders are doing a really, really good job. Jair Brown, you guys came, watched the show last week. I was nervous. Jair Brown struggled a little bit against the Philadelphia Eagles. There were opportunities for big plays down the field. Very first play of the game. Hayden could have got to the corner for a touchdown. Jair Brown came up, buzzed it, came up, flat feet. Hayden ran right by him. Luckily, Jalen Hurts was completely focused on A.J. Brown, checked the ball underneath, and never saw the tight end open. There were a couple other occasions as well where there could have been big plays down the field because Jair Brown uh, struggled in coverage. Well, guess what? This film, way better. Jair Brown was not just good in coverage, but he was bringing the pressure when he was blitzed. He was in the box making tackles. He was the, one of the 49ers' best tacklers, if not the best tackler in the entire game. So bounce back is important. Because when you're talking about a young player like that, if he started having back-to-back mess-up games or back-to-back mistakes and the coaches are having to get on him, that's when some players can get in their head. But the fact that he received the coaching, didn't make the same mistakes, played better, that's got to make you optimistic that he's going to continue to learn and grow as a player. So Jair Brown, definitely big time for the 49ers. I was excited about what Jair provided for the 49ers on defense. And that's what you need. You need that stabilizing force. Tashawn Gibson, ridiculous, by the way. Comes up and just straps Noah Fant. Anytime he was on Noah Fant, Noah Fant was strapped. Tashawn Gibson has been taking away tight ends all year long. It has just been superb. To be honest, coming into the season, I didn't know Tashawn Gibson could do that. I didn't know he was that good in coverage. But boy, has he been phenomenal. There's nothing about Deshaun Gibson's game that makes me think he should retire. I mean, that dude is legit. And I know the 49ers are probably going to want to roll Tufanga and Jair Brown next year, but Deshaun Gibson, if he still wants to play, he's not done. Somebody should give him some money because that dude is really, really good. Whether it's in the box, playing against the run, covering tight ends, being in the deep third, he's spectacular. And speaking of deep third, Jair Brown... Nearly had three interceptions in this game. He got one. You have the deep one where him and Charverius Ward go up after it. Charverius Ward probably should have had an interception, but Jair Brown came all the way from center field to get there, right? That's an opportunity. Fred Warner stole an interception away from him on the tip ball from Chase Young. So Jair Brown was in the right place at the right time. That's what you want from your young players. When everybody else was getting juked by Zach Charbonnet, Jair Brown wasn't. So great performance by Jair Brown. Demo is that guy, the top flight corner. He's a top flight corner. When he's on the outside, no, they ain't doing nothing against him. He competes every single snap. He's in their face. And when they're running routes, he's right on their hip pocket. Not very overly grabby. He's not overly touchy. I mean, he did get a penalty for illegal contact on DK Metcalf on an out and up. But, okay, if he's going to get by you, give him some contact. A lot of times when you're a smaller corner and you're going to get to a bigger, more physical re- receiver, you can get away with contact. I have no problems with that. A five-yard penalty, okay, you don't like it, but you live with it. But Diameter Lenore should have had two interceptions in this game. One of them negated by Nick Bosa 
being offsides, the other negated by the fact that he dropped the football. And I think Flanagan Fowles might have gotten his face a little or in his space a little bit and he lost vision of the football. But Diamond Lenore is that guy. And it's not just in coverage, but against the run as well. When he's playing nickel, his run fits are great. Now, he didn't play nickel a lot in this game, and Isaiah Oliver had to come in because of the injury to Charverius Ward. And I'll continue to say this. Isaiah Oliver's really good in run fits. He steps up in the right spot. He gets to the right location. When he has the opportunity, keeps his outside arm free, makes the tackle. He tacks the outside knee, makes the tackle. Does a good job. Was there a couple times on film where I wasn't a huge fan of either where Isaiah Oliver was in run fits. There was one time for sure, and another time where maybe he got a little bit more uh, out over his skis than he should have, a little bit too much forward lean, yes. But for the most part, he did a really good job in tackling. That's never the issue with Isaiah Oliver, and I showed it showed up on film. But I love the way it's being coached. These guys understand what their responsibilities are, as when they're a nickel corner, they're also the third linebacker. So huge fan of what the nickel corners are doing in the run game. And that needs to continue. But yeah, Demo, he's, he's top flight. We had a different nickel corner, and Demo could play outside the entire time opposite of Tarverus Ward. No fly zone. I'm telling you, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for some teams as long as the four yards can stay healthy. It's going to be hard. Kevin Givens and Javon Kinlaw stepped that up. Both of them played well, and Givens had a great game. And with Givens, it can be hit and miss. And I worry a lot of times when he goes about goes against teams like this that will double team at the point of attack and get a little bit of a push. But he was getting skinny, knifing through, using his technique to get penetration into the backfield and make plays. Givens needed to have a big game with them missing Eric Armstead, with them missing for part of the game Javon Hargrave, and he did. They needed that rotation of him and Kinlaw. And Kinlaw had a couple of times he put pressure on the quarterback. There was another time where he had a big four yard a stop behind the line of scrimmage which completely changed the complex of that drive uh the first play they got it down there uh, they got a five yard gain it's second and five here comes kinlaw blows it up next thing you know it's third and nine and the 40 yards get a stop that's the kind of things you need from your interior defensive line and kinlaw and kevin gibbons provided it and i'm glad they did you didn't have arm said hargrave went out and to be honest with you Kalia davis just looked okay Took the step back against Philadelphia. It was a lot of pass rush snaps, right? 19 snaps, but the 49ers are up big. He's playing a lot of pass rush snaps. So what does he know? He knows what's going to happen. He knows what to expect. He knows it's probably not going to be a run. It was easier for him. Now that he got a significant role with this rotation against the Seattle Seahawks and he had to play against the run, it was hit and miss. He wasn't as explosive as we saw against Philly. He didn't get skinny uh, the same way that he he should or that Kevin Givens does. So there definitely is still work to be done with Clea Davis. Now, I like the player. I like the skill set. I like his build. But we need him to be able to get skinny and make plays. And so, to me, I think that the 49ers uh, possibly need to do something at the defensive tackle spot if they're going to be without Hargrave. We do know Hargrave is day-to-day. That's good news. He could potentially play against the Cardinals. But if the Cardinals game comes up and you're without Hargrave, you're without Kalia Davis, I'm sorry, without uh, a Hargrave and Armstead, and you've got Kalia Davis, you've got Kinlaw, and you've got Kevin Givens, we know there's an extra spot that they need to fill. T.Y. McGill, potentially. But I wouldn't even be surprised if 49ers don't elevate two defensive tackles, figure something out there. Uh, so Kalia Davis, I'm not 
I'm not done with him by any means. I didn't think it was a bad game, uh, but there's definitely a lot to work on. You're taking on double teams. You can't be square. You got to get skinny. You got to lower your uh, your center of gravity. You got to take those guys on. And I just think he needs a little bit of work on that. But he hasn't been a defensive tackle for a long time. That's for sure. Um, with Burks out, the 49ers need to figure out the Sam linebacker. He had, was dealing with knee tendonitis. We got reps from Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. And even though in the past, you know, I've really had some issues with Demetrius Flanagan Fowles play at linebacker, I didn't think it was egregious. I mean, there was a couple years ago against Chicago. It was absolutely egregious when I did the, the film breakdown. I struggled not to be negative to Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. I didn't think it was that case at all. And I thought in pass coverage, he wasn't horrible. Um, I just thought in the run fits, you could see he's a step slow. He's a little bit slower to pull the trigger and get downhill. Not always in the proper position. He doesn't fight across offensive linemen. He doesn't avoid blocks. He struggles to shed blocks at times. And it's not like it happens every time. So I know I mentioned a lot. And I wanted to seem like he's just. But it happens from play to play. And when you add all the sum of those up, you get some negative plays. And what that forces is Fred Warner, Trey Greenlaw, when they're out there in the base 4-3, to have to somewhat make up for Demetrius Flanagan Fouls. Now, they're high on him. They've been high on him for a while. And Demetrius Flanagan Fowles has had games where he stepped up and made plays. Struggled a little bit against the Seahawks. Was that because he wasn't expected to start? Oren Burks is normally that guy. Maybe he wasn't as prepared as he should be. That I don't know. But the 49ers have some options, potentially, if Demetrius Flanagan Fowles isn't capable of playing those 20% of the snaps. Number one, you've got Jalen Graham. You've kept him active the last few weeks. He's been helping you on special teams. He was really good against the run. So maybe Jalen Graham being in those positions, not a lot of coverage for your Sam linebacker could make sense. D. Winters has been on the active roster since training camp. He's been rolling with this team the whole time. He's got a tremendous amount of speed and good instincts. I still think there's a lot of growth that needs to happen with D. Winters as far as helping. So as far as speed and all that, he's got he's definitely an uh, an upgrade over Flanagan Fowles. But as far as instincts right now, yes, he has the instincts, but consistent play. I don't think it's there yet. And then you look and you've got guys on the practice squad as well. So the Niners might need to bring up Curtis Robinson, elevate him from the practice squad. Your elevations could be T.Y. McGill and Curtis Robinson this week. And so we'll see. I, I know they signed Jason Verrett. I don't know if Verrett is going to be active. My guess would be Verrett uh, chances to be elevated more so for Baltimore. Unless there's some sort of injury that keeps Tarverius Ward out, then it would make sense. Well, the Fournier's are going to have to make some decisions about elevations. And let's be honest, linebacker could be the least of their concerns. They might be more concerned about defensive back, more concerned you know, about other positions, defensive tackle, where they could possibly only have three. So if that's the case, it might be Jalen Graham. It'll probably be Demetrius Flanagan Fowles. But I would like to see Flanagan Fowles play a little bit more instinctual, come up hard, be more aggressive, pull the trigger, get downhill. I think if he does that... Uh, they'll be just fine. But that was uh, some of the things I saw on defense. And then here's the last one for special teams. Pick the ball out of the end zone. Coach Snyder. Not Jake Moody. Coach Snyder. These are directional kicks. All right? It's not Jake Moody's doing it wrong. It's not Jake Moody's fault. This is Brian Snyder. And I know, I get it. You want to pin offenses back deeper. You don't want them to start from the 25. You'd rather them start at the 20. 
because every single time you they go back, percentages of them scoring is more difficult, especially against your defense. But at what time are you worried about the risk per reward? Because the 49ers coverage team hasn't been great this year. For every time that they stop them short of the 25, there's like five or six that they get ahead of the 25. Think it's time. Just kick it out. Don't even worry about it anymore. Just kick it out of the end zone. Jake Moody's got the leg for it. Kick it out. Let your defense start from the 25-yard line and try to get a stop. No more risk of any sort of good return. That's just what I think. We'll see if they do it. So far, they've been bullish. Kyle Shannon hasn't told him he has to do it. They Obviously, they keep trying to get this done. They did it with Richie Hightower when he was a second uh, special teams coach. Now they're doing it with Brian Schneider. And this time they have a kicker that can absolutely boom it. So, uh, please, at least by the time we get to the playoffs, just make the adjustment. I'd appreciate it. Like always, guys, like and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Really appreciate it. Uh, audio platform, 40 Yards Cutback on Believe. This episode brought to you by Bet Online, where the game starts. Let me know what you guys think of this episode in the comment section down below. Did I miss anything? Did you guys see something else? Uh, let me know. Uh, let me know what you thought, you know, about what I said. It's always a fun time to talk San Francisco 49ers football, and it was a great win for the 49ers, beating the Seattle Seahawks, basically ending any chances of the Seahawks winning the NFC West. Now you've clinched a playoff spot with the Green Bay Packers falling to the New York Giants. The 49ers are in the playoffs. Now the next thing you have to do, lock up the division. You will basically do it with a win over the Arizona Cardinals, and then beat the Baltimore Ravens, you beat the Washington Commanders, and you beat the Los Angeles Rams, and then all rows lead through Santa Clara. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I'll catch you on the next one. Lots of great content coming your way through the channel. Come check it out. But until then, stay safe. And remember the right way is always the 49ers.